As Stephen mentioned during uh, his welcome, uh, on the Christian calendar next week is Pentecost. Now, we're pretty certain of that date comes uh, 50 days uh, after Easter. Um, six weeks ago, Jesus was crucified, and the, and the future looked pretty bleak for his disciples. Their Messiah had died, and with him, all of their hopes and dreams for a new kingdom and a new life. But then all of that changed when Jesus was resurrected. New hope filled their spirits, and for 40 days, Jesus appeared among them and, and taught and, and showed the Hebrew scriptures and preached about the good news of the kingdom. And then he gave them the news. I'm leaving again. And this time, I'm not going to leave you without any representation. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And that was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. They didn't know it then, but we do. And that's where we are today. We're in between Jesus' as, ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit, which will be next week. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and when we think of space, we think Jesus goes up into heaven, but really what the text is trying to point to us is that Jesus moved into a different role. He is now seated or standing at the right hand of the Father. He is now enthroned, and now he rules over this kingdom that will never end. He will reign until the very last enemy we face is defeated, death itself. And so, as Jesus left them, he left them with the words, Wait, something good is coming. And that's where we are, waiting for Pentecost to come. Now, since Easter, uh, we've been looking at different texts in the book of Acts, and next week, as you can imagine, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Now, for these last couple weeks, we've been looking at different texts in Galatians, which corresponds to the time when uh, um, we, we had the council in, in Acts chapter 15. And so we're going to wrap up those last verses um, of Galatians today. And just emphasize again, these are verses that are part of a lectionary that we're following. These are not verses that I have chosen or any of us have chosen for these particular Sundays. Um, all of the churches that are following this lectionary are also dealing with these texts, regardless of what might be going on in their own congregations. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul is going to deal with this topic once again of Jewish Christians who feel Gentiles must become Jews in addition to becoming Christian. And so we're going to read, first of all, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. The, the first part of Galatians started really strongly with very strong words from Paul, and he returns to that kind of rhetoric here. Galatians 3, 1. O foolish Galatians! Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. L let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Jesus. How foolish can you be? 
After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Verse 5. I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted, it, counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to that time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. As we've mentioned before, this tension between Jew and Gentile seems just like old news and out of place in our modern world. But Paul is doing some things here, and we'll see at the end of this chapter, that do affect us in very, very real ways. So to help us think about what Paul is saying, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever typed on a typewriter? Okay, all right. Most of the more mature members of our congregation. Now, how many of you have ever typed on a manual typewriter, not an electric? Yeah, so, okay, the number went down a little bit, but still pretty much the same. Now, for, for those younger kids, um, there used to be this machine, it was not electric, and you had to bang on it really hard, and a little key would come up and strike a piece of ink and leave a mark on the paper, and that's how you wrote, by typewriter back in those days. Now we do it on a computer, and we don't call it typing sometimes, but we call it word processing, because you can do so much more. You can cut and paste and, and make it bigger, and you can different colors, and you, there's just so much you can do. Everything is seemingly new, and, and, and yet, I don't know if you've ever thought, you know the keyboard on your on your iPhones and on your computers. You know why it's called the QWERTY? Q W E R T Y. Now this isn't the most logical place for the different letters to be. Some of the letters that we use most frequently are in places where you're having to the A. You're having to use your pinky if you were to be typing with all fingers. Well, it was designed this way because back in the old days, when it was a machine, they had to separate the letters that you used a lot so they wouldn't get jammed up. And we're still using that same keyboard today. And yet, it's new and improved and totally different. And that's what Paul is saying about the law. The law is like those manual typewriters. They were necessary, but only until we got to computers and word processors. To go back to using a typewriter, a manual typewriter, in today's day and age, you know, I still know of certain authors that only write on manual typewriters, but they're a dying breed. <laughs> and there's fewer and fewer places where you can find an original typewriter. For most of us, it would be foolish to go back to a manual typewriter. In the same way Paul says, it would be foolish to go back to the law once we have the Spirit. And to make his point, he quotes two scriptures from the book of Genesis that go back to Abraham's day. 
And he's saying even back then, in the early chapters of Genesis, God was preparing for this time when all people would be allowed entrance into the kingdom. The first quote comes from Genesis 15 that says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted, he was counted righteous because of his faith, now all of us can be counted righteous when we believe God without being circumcised, without having to follow Jewish rules, Jewish rules and regulations. We can be also included in the family of God through our faith. The second text shows that the promise of God that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to bless all families. God was really pointing to all nations. Well, when you read in the scriptures about nations, that means non-Jewish nations. And so even in Genesis chapter 12, God was looking at that time when all nations would be included. And what that means is when all people, Gentiles like you and me, would be included in the family of God. They didn't recognize it then, but God had been working towards this end ever since the beginning of his dealings with humanity. Now we jump down to verse 23 through the rest of the chapter. We read in Genesis, uh, Genesis uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian or our tutor until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we are no longer we no longer need the law as our guardian. Verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, the first part of this text, Paul simply points out that the law was given to provide an immature Israel help in her growth and development. It was provided to correct Israel. It was a strict tutor. But when Israel grew up, as it were, and the time was right, God sent Jesus and now we don't need this strict tutor, but rather we have faith in Christ that gives our relationship with him. And then in the last verses of this chapter, Paul gives what some have called the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. He gives three sets of contrasting relationships that are done away with by our baptism in Jesus. Paul says there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither free nor slave. There are neither males and females. Now, it's a good possibility that Paul was using the threefold division of an ancient Jewish prayer that we can trace back to uh, the, the, the earliest version we have is from 150 A.D. from Rabbi Judah ben Eli. 
This prayer was said every morning by pious Jewish males. And it goes like this. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a slave. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. In that time, it was viewed as a statement of reverence for the Torah, the law of God, because Gentiles, slaves, and women were not allowed to read Scripture. They were not allowed to have access to the holy books of God. There's another thing that these three have in common, Gentiles, slaves, and women. They could not normally inherit the land owned by Israelites. They were not true children of the promise. They were not heirs. But now Paul says, because of our faith in Jesus and by our baptism in him, we are now considered full sons and daughters. We are considered as natural born and we have access to the full promises of Uh, that God gave to Abraham and God gave to his people. Now, Paul is dealing specifically and most exclusively in the book of Galatians with this no longer Jew and Gentile. I mean, that was the issue that motivated and made up a good part of the discussion in most of Paul's letters. You see it in just about every single one of his letters, Jews and Gentiles. Now, Paul makes it overtly clear that God accepts Gentiles into the kingdom of God and they have all the rights and privileges that a natural-born Jewish individual would have. In no way are the Gentiles who have put on Christ in baptism to be considered as second-class citizens of the kingdom. Paul makes that overtly clear because that's what he's dealing with. Jews and Gentiles, you are, if you've been baptized into Christ, you are the same in the kingdom. There is no difference. But but what about the other two relationships, the slave and free, the male and female? Because in, in other scriptures, Paul seems to support the culturally accepted position that slavery was okay. And that slaves were second-class citizens that didn't have full rights of natural-born children. In other scriptures, Paul seems to support the culturally accepted norm of his day that women were second-class citizens and did not have the full rights of natural-born children. Now, this text seems to be what William Webb refers to as seed ideas or seed texts. All throughout Scripture, kind of like what we saw with Abraham and uh, in Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 12, all throughout Scripture, there are glimpses of what God wants in the future. But because of culturally imposed norms at that time, it wasn't the right time. Why didn't Jesus come back in Genesis? It wasn't the right time. Well, why not? You can ask God that when you get to heaven. But the time wasn't right. And so what Webb says, these are like seeds planted, just lying dormant, waiting for the time to be right. You know, Scripture never comes out and condemns slavery. In fact, slave owners have used the Bible for years to justify 
their horrible activities. But texts like this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 28, contain the seeds of what ultimately God wants to achieve. The abolition of slavery. All people considered as equal. And many believe this text also points to and plants the seeds to a more equal treatment of women. Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, men and women. Now, for many years, these verses have been understood to be talking about salvation. And what he's trying to say is that everybody can go to heaven. If you're Jew or Gentile, you can go to heaven. If you're slave or free, you can go to heaven. If you're male or female, you can go to heaven. But it doesn't change our relationship on earth or at church. So Gentiles, this would be like saying Gentiles are welcome to come to church, but you're going to have to sit at a separate table because the Jews are the real children. It would be like saying Gentiles could come to church, but you're never going to be asked to read scripture or serve the Lord's Supper to Jews because those were positions that only Jews could fulfill. Does that sound like the gospel to you? It's not the gospel that Paul preaches. Now, before you think that I'm exaggerating or pushing things out of, of, of context, let me suggest that this is the same argument that was used for years to justify mistreatment of African-Americans. After years of arguing, years of wrangling, after years of after the Declaration of Independence that we, all men are created equal, it was finally conceded that, yes, blacks were indeed humans. But that didn't automatically translate into blacks having the same rights and the same privileges as whites. They might be considered human, but that doesn't mean that they can drink from the same water fountain. <laughs> they might be human, but that doesn't mean that they can eat at my same restaurant or use the same bathrooms or go to the same schools. Separate but equal was a horrible way of segregating and making African-Americans feel like second-class citizens because separate but equal simply means separate. And that translates into you're not white enough or you're not good enough or you're not important enough. You're not Jewish enough. You're not free enough. You're not male enough. You know, at Sunset, we have gone to great lengths to make sure our Spanish-speaking brothers feel totally included in this congregation, that they would never feel like second-class citizens. I've been to churches and I've preached where when I, I go through the front door and I say, where's the Spanish? Oh, it's down in the basement in the back corner. And I get there and it's a small, dingy room. The lights don't work. They're flickering and it smells a little bit funky. And that's where they have class and they have worship. I said, how long have you guys been down here? <laughs> Well, this is the space they gave us. We've made overt and difficult decisions, complicated decisions, to make sure that whoever attends the Sunset congregation feels like they truly belong. We, we, we don't want our Spanish-speaking brothers to think that this is an English church run by English members and that you're not really welcome here because of where you're from or how you look. Is it worth it to go through all this hassle? Is it worth it to switch spaces every month? It creates confusion. Is it worth it to send out text messages both in English and in Spanish and have translated? Is it worth it? 
Yes. Especially for our Spanish-speaking brothers, we would say a resounding yes. The same thing we could say about our African-American brothers and sisters, or our Caribbean brothers and sisters, or our brothers and sisters from any other country that skin tones are a little bit darker, or accents are a little bit different. We do not want anyone to feel that they are not allowed to use their God-given gifts, given by the Holy Spirit, to encourage God's people. Paul says this principle applies to Jews and Gentiles, free and slaves, and males and females. You are all one in Christ. When we were baptized into Christ, we were being formed into one community, not six communities, not three communities, and not two communities. All of us who have been baptized into Christ have received the same spirit. So let me conclude with one last thought. Fruit salad. What happens when you put fruit salad in a blender? You get a smoothie. What flavor is that smoothie? Fruit. <laughs> what color is that smoothie? Brown. I don't know. It depends, I guess, if you put green stuff, you can get green. But You know, I'm not a big fan of smoothies. I understand they're convenient, a way to drink, and you can take it with you on the road. But I like fruit salad, where you can see every piece of fruit, and you can taste the difference between a, a watermelon and, and, and a strawberry and a grape and, and pineapple. Paul is saying when we're baptized into Christ, we get put in the same bowl, but we're all coming to Christ as different fruits. We don't lose our distinctiveness. Each of us brings our own unique flavor to the body of Christ, our humor, our personalities, our passions for different ministries, our gifts and abilities. Far be it from us to ever exclude anyone from serving because of the color of their skin. Shame on us if we would ever allow that. Or the place of their birth. Or their occupation. Or their educational level. Maybe it's, we, maybe it's time we remove gender as the reason to exclude people from serving as well. Now, I know for some, this is a challenging word. But let me just point you back to the text. However we deal with the removal of distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, whatever that looks like in your mind, you have to apply the same rule then to males and females. We can't cherry pick how we deal with this text. If you believe those distinctions are only removed so that people can go to heaven, and that's all that means, fair enough. I'm convinced that those distinctions are also removed in terms of service and using the gifts the Spirit gives us. I am praying for Pentecost to come. For that time when God's Spirit is truly poured out on all people, Jews and Gentiles, free and slave, males and females, and that we can all use our gifts to the glory of God.